Hey there, welcome to the All Things Life podcast. I'm your host, Leela Ben. I'm 21 years old and figuring life out, whatever that means. Tune in for chats about all of the cringy, the bad, the funny and the rad life stuff that I think is important to share with you. This is a journey and I'm glad you're here. So enjoy this All Things Life crazy ride. Now let's get chatting. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode with All Things Life podcast. I am so glad you're here because this episode is so much fun. I got the wonderful Marlo Grover over to chat about all things business, doggos, travel, life aspirations, and so much fun advice for all of you lovely people. The chat is a long one, but it's so worth it. I went through and edited it and I really was trying to cut out as much as I could to make it a shorter chat but it's just so great and Marlo has so many great things to say and I just learnt heaps from her and I think you will too so get keen for the chat. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm good how are you? Good thanks. How's your morning been? Uh <laughs> Pretty hectic. I had um, uh, Caitlin, who I work with um, on G Pump. She's based in London, so I was up this morning at seven thirty for a twenty twenty one planning call. So I had that, and my husband is very, very hungover. So I've been looking after the dogs, looking after him, doing work. Like it's been quite chaotic for a Friday morning, but. You know, keeps things interesting. How about you? How's your week been? Um, yeah, good, I guess. I I still haven't gone back to work, but I go to the Savo. Um, so mm-hmm. that'll be good. But I've just How are you feeling much... about it? Good. Well, I I so I study full time, but I work at a doggy daycare. Dream. Living the dream, I know. So I get to bring my dog to work and everything, but yeah, I'm so excited to go back to work and hang out with some dogs. Oh, that's fun yeah. that's an awesome job um yeah so it's like I only just got it recently after COVID and I hope to keep it until I finish my degree before I become a real adult but um yeah, yeah no yeah. weekends so I get to do fun stuff on the weekends I used to work in hospitality and it, ugh, yeah I weekends hate hospitality here, right yeah <laughs> so bad especially because I'm I'm a country girl from Western Australia so okay. like, when I worked in um, Melbourne hospitality, it was like so anxiety inducing because like everyone is so fast paced and like they want their oat latte with like half a sugar and um, all this special a stuff. Stevia, please make yeah. it decaf. Well, and can I have I'd a magic? Like it five minutes ago. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, get out. Magic. What do you mean? <laughs> That's definitely a Melbourne thing. But anyway, it was yes, definitely an interesting experience. <laughs> Oh, I'm a coffee snob now. Like, yeah. And I feel embarrassed when I walk up to the thing, like, can I have a week long black with a dash of oat milk? And like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm a like, week long black. I know. What a little wuss. Really? <laughs> I know. Well, wouldn't you just have like a, what, like just a normal black coffee? But I suppose that is a long black, isn't it? Well, so you just want it. I get a week because it, like, I can only have a full strength coffee if I eat breakfast. Otherwise, it makes me shake. 
Okay. Like yeah. I, Fair call. this is me with like no coffee. I already have heaps of energy. I just drink it. Yeah. It's like, I guess tastes everybody delicious. drinks it and it tastes yeah. good. And I like got into it, but I can only handle weak. But yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I, I get I'm that. getting there. I, I'm working up the ranks. Yeah, I got a job as a um, as a barista like way back in the day at a coffee shop and I had never even had a cup of coffee. Like I was adamant that I hated it. And I started really weak with like a, a hazelnut syrup latte, which was, you know, and then I had like two extra sugars. So that was like five teaspoons of sugar in a coffee. Um, and then I eventually worked my way up and now I'm like three almond lattes before 12 p.m. please like that that's what I love it's great I'm not at that level yet I've worked in a coffee (laughs) van from the age of 14 and like in hospo since 13 but yeah I only started drinking coffee maybe a year ago nice okay nice yeah and Um, how long ago did you um come to Melbourne um three weeks before the stage four lockdown Oh, fuck me. Wow. Yeah, I drove Welcome. across Melbourne, drove across, coming to live my best life and new opportunities and then I was stuck oh, in my house for life. Babe, I'm so sorry. That is so oh. horrible. But it's I was a similar now. story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you moved from Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, it came down to Melbourne on the 1st of April and then, you know, we were in... 116 days of lockdown from that day right like it was great amazing where do I sign huh nice anyway here we are now living better lives maybe not our best life yet but definitely better oh definitely my bank account is telling me I need to slow down because I feel like after that long stint of nothing I've just gone way too hard (laughs) yeah yeah because you like everything wow all of these bright, shiny things need it all. Yeah. 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 And having FOMO when you see your friends going out and you're like, I have no money, but I'm going to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just but, don't need that textbook for university, right? Yeah, exactly. I'll find a free copy on the internet. Somewhere. Yeah. As if anyone reads those books anyway. No, literally me. Well, I only just went to uni um, in July. So I got a deacon. And halfway through it, I was talking to, to some like other uni students. They're like, yeah, we don't even go to the classes. I was like, you don't go to the classes? I'm not going to the classes anymore. So I don't know why people pay for because I went to Deakin as well, represent. Um, like university degrees seem very old school now you know the concept that you you turn up to this place a lot of the my lectures were online no one fucking watched them because they go for like three hours and the guys you know presenting these lectures they just never get to a point they ramble they're very monotone so there's really nothing exciting going on and you know my philosophy throughout university was peas get degrees not one person I I would have been pissed off had I worked really hard to get HDs in every subject that I studied because not one person ever has asked me whether or not I got a HD, you know, like in a job interview. Oh, so, you know, did you get a P or did you get a HD? It's like, it doesn't matter. I got my degree and I'm here in front of you and I tick all the boxes for your job. Yeah, you know, That's how I um, do uni too. Just chill, don't stress, like... All I need yeah. to do is pass. Don't Did get me wrong. If you're studying paper? medicine, 
then maybe take a different approach <laughs> but like yeah. journalism communications it's it's all interpretive right <laughs> yeah exactly but anyway I thought we should get into it you're a busy lady yes. I'm not very but um <laughs> thank you so much for coming on to my podcast I well I've been pretty much following you since I moved to Melbourne I don't even know how I found you but you have a really good philosophy on Instagram and super positive vibes. Um, so, yeah, welcome to All Things Life Podcast. Thank you. Um, how good is Instagram like that? You're like, I don't really know how you came into my universe, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. You brighten my feed every day. It's great. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. Thank you. Um, well, I have an intro question that I ask mm. all my people I interview. So what is the one thing on your top bucket list and why? Oh, top of my bucket list and why it's interesting it had you asked this question last year I'm sure the answer would have been very different it's like 20, 2021 bucket list item would be to survive um, and then beyond that um, uh, I feel like I've in a way already ticked my bucket list because my husband and I have always dreamed about getting a Land Rover Defender and, you know, putting our dogs in the back of it and traveling, right? And on the 1st of January, that's what we did. We um, finalized the sale on the Land Rover Defender of our dreams. And then a week later, we got um, our second Whippet, Bambi Grover. Um, So we've got the Whippets and now we've got our dream car and um, my husband has the ability to work remotely this year and G-Pumps, you know, you're able to do G-Pump wherever there's an internet connection. So my bucket list is exactly what I'm doing this year. So in many ways, I'm feeling very grateful for all of the shitstorm that was 2020 because it's presented us with this incredible opportunity um, to, yeah, put everything in the back of the car and, and travel Australia. That's what we've talked about for a few years now and that's what we get to do this year. So yes. that's bucket list. Yeah. I saw that post and I was like, jealous, that's my dream. So congratulations, exciting Thanks. times ahead. Um, I also wanted to ask you a random question. What made you decide to get another female with it? Um, because... This is a good question, I suppose. Well, I feel like with the um, male and female, uh, you know, sort of relationship, Gracie's a very gentle whippet. And I feel like if we got a hysterical male whippet that was sort of full of energy, that would be too much for her. Um, And we've just met other people that had whippets of the same sex and they said that they got along really well and we'd kind of picked a name and I was like Bambi Grover I feel like that's our next whippet so I would feel bad if we got a male whippet and then I called him Bambi although actually that's exactly what happened in the Disney book so maybe I've got it wrong anyway let's not get into the details but now we've got two girls (laughs) yes well that's so exciting dogs are literally the best I have my own um yeah and And what, what type of dog do you have I have a kelpie Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, he's a year old. He's very crazy. And I definitely don't think I could have two. Um, no. But they're all worth like all the effort. So, absolutely. Well, it's interesting. Um, Bambi is the polar opposite of Gracie. So, Gracie was a very gentle soul. She was scared of everything and she's eventually come out of her shell. 
Whereas Bambi is the opposite. She's like this bundle of energy. She jumps on your face. She wants to be in the center of everything. And she only weighs like four kilos. She's very, very sweet. And I was saying to Hugh the other day, I feel like Bambi is the second child that lures you in. So, you know, you have the first child is really great. It sleeps through the night. It doesn't cry a lot, feeds really easily. And you go, oh, this is so wonderful. Let's have a second child. And then you have that second baby. And it's like, I haven't slept in 40 hours. Why did we do this? So, um, you know, I think we might just call it quits on the dogs cap it at two and then you know Hugh and I have talked um for a little bit about dogs kind of fulfilling that um paternal instinct in us and do we actually really need to have kids when we've got two whippets and you know careers where we want to achieve a whole bunch of stuff um I think maybe sometimes kids might I'm fearful that kids having a child is going to hold me back from doing everything that I want to do in life but um, I think after this year, once we've ticked, you know, major bucket list items when we're traveling, I think maybe my perspective will change. So yeah, who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. D- dogs definitely fill a, like a hole. Not like mm. I want kids at any time soon, but it's just like, they actually take up so much time and energy and so much love. Like, mm. I'm like, I don't need a kid. I love Gracie like she's come from my body. Yeah. It's like I have birthed you. <laughs> I will do anything for you. I will die yeah. for you. Yes, but. seriously. I've got her inked in on my arm. Like she doesn't understand that whole concept, but I'm like, I've got you in my skin. <laughs> but also like I post things about my dog on Instagram and I just do a whole um, paragraph about how amazing he is and I'm like, he's never going to see this. Yeah. And also no one else, no one else is going to get it. No, you know, no one thinks that your child is as cute as you think your child is. And I feel like that's very much the same with Gracie. A lot of people would look at her and go, I really don't see the appeal. And I'm like, you are the apple of my eye. So that's you know, also with kids. Everyone's like, different. I see yeah. people post heaps of pictures of their kids and they just think that they're the best kids ever. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> yeah just don't tell them that but absolutely absolutely. there is such a thing as an ugly baby I know that's really harsh but it it exists you can't tell the parents but there's nothing worse than meeting someone with an ugly baby and going oh lovely congratulations anyway coffee anyone (laughs) so funny so you said you were in Sydney so did you grow grow up in Sydney So I've always been a Melbourne girl. Um, I've always been a Melbourne girl, born and raised, um, uh, you know, in the rolling hills of suburbia. And um, I've, I always had a dream to move to London and my grandma's English. And I just, I felt like before I'd even been to London, that I had this connection to the UK. Um, You know, I love English history English literature, um, you know, Netflix shows. I love history and period pieces. So I feel like that's what always drew me to London. So when I met my husband, I was I was saving to move to London because my um, ex-partner, he was English and he said, I'm not interested in moving back. And I was like, well, what's the point of being with an English person that doesn't want to go back to England? I take it. Um, um you know and there are a lot of other things (laughs) it wasn't just that thing that ended the relationship but um uh so yeah I met Hugh and I was saving to move to London 
And he said, well, I'm actually looking to move to Singapore. And I was like, you know, third date in, I was like, yeah, I could, I could live in Singapore. I've never been, but cool. I think I was just looking for an adventure. And then Singapore didn't um, come to fruition. London wasn't a possibility with either of our work at the time. And then this opportunity came up with um, Hugh's work to move to Sydney. And I was working a corporate job at the time and they had a Sydney office. So I said to them, hey, is there a possibility that I get a transfer? And they said, yep, absolutely. It was sort of, again, I'm very much a believer that the universe sends you things at the time that you need them. So it, kind of, it fell into place so quickly. Literally a week later, I was living in Sydney um, but I definitely didn't do the mental preparation that was required in actually sort of moving your life. I sort of just packed my bags. It was a 45 minute flight to Sydney. Didn't really think much of it. And then when I got there, uh, I had really bad depression. I was really struggling in breaking into any sort of friendship group. Work was really fucking awful. I had the most awful client and they were on Canadian um, UK time so I was working with these horrible people at horrible hours and the whole thing was just a bit of a shit show so the start of my Sydney chapter was really challenging um, and that's that's where G-Pump came into it and I needed an outlet um, Hugh and I were engaged we were saving for a wedding so we couldn't really go out and you know spend money on margaritas and meet people which is kind of what you do when you move to a new city um, which is what I imagine you wanted to do right when you came to to yeah. Melbourne if you weren't in lockdown um, but by the end of our Sydney chapter sort of uh, after three years I loved it. Sydney was like where I'd found myself. I'd, you know, quit my corporate job. I'd started a fashion label. I felt like I'd met women that were on my wavelength. The weather's awesome. Um, I just, I loved it. I loved everything about Sydney. And then, um, yeah, 1st of April, 2020, our landlord said, hey, we're not going to give you any sort of rent relief because um, we were really honest with them and said, look, um, my husband, you know, has, has gone through a redundancy. We don't have money to pay rent right now. Is there anything that you can do to sort of ease the burden just in the, in the interim? And he said, no, absolutely not. So he said, okay, bye. Um, asshole. Uh, and then within 48 hours, you know, we'd put our life on the back of a truck and, you know, we left our couch in the apartment. We left the bed. We we're like, fuck you. You could deal with it. Um, and then, yeah, we drove down to Melbourne in a rush because we thought that the borders were going to close. Yeah. Um, little did we know we were just rushing down to a complete um, shitstorm <laughs> of a lockdown. And then, um, yeah, we were living in a friend's house for nine months. Um, yeah. And, and that's where the Melbourne journey restarts itself in 2021. <laughs> right. So, so you lived in Sydney for three years and before mm -hmm. that, what were you doing in Melbourne? So I was um, a corporate gal. Um, I grew up as a ballerina um, and that was my life for 20 years. And I, if, I, if I wasn't at school, effectively, I was doing ballet. Weekends were consumed with ballet. I was dancing at the Australian Ballet School. Um, I just, you know, competitions, anyone that sort of, dances or performs knows um 
you know, you have these Stedfords where there's like 300 kids competing and your parents are sitting there for seven hours to watch you perform for like two and a half minutes. It yeah. Honestly, it was just all consuming. So I did that for um, 20 years. And then by the time I graduated high school, I was like, I think there's, you know, something else outside of the ballet world, like a social life. And, you know, I, I didn't really know anything outside of the ballet world so I definitely lost interest in it pretty quickly you know started to go to parties um, you know you start meeting people you start drinking um, and that very much kind of became the thing that I wanted to invest my time in like just sort of understanding who I was without ballet Um, so I went to Deakin University just like you and I wanted to be Samantha Jones and I wanted to be a publicist and after one journalism lecture, honestly, this guy, he was a fossil and he was the most boring man I have ever heard speak. And I was like, if this is journalism, I'm out. I cannot do this for three years. This is absolutely ridiculous. So I changed all of my subjects towards advertising and marketing because it had a creative element to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I did consider enrolling at Deakin in performing arts. Um, you know, and I, I did media and, and video um, studies while I was at university and I did really well and I loved it. But at the time, my parents were like, well, that's not going to pay your bills. What kind of job do you expect to get if, you know, you go and do a theatre course or a dance course? Um, and I can't blame them for that. I'm, you know, that's what a lot of parents do. They just want to ensure that, you know, you're going to have the best start in life and you'll be able to, you know, feed yourself. But also at the same time, it was, it was horrible advice. You should be doing and studying exactly what you're passionate about because the more that you love what you're doing, the naturally, the better you're going to be at it. And the better you are at something, the more opportunities will open up. Like, it, yeah. So anyway, I, I took a wrong turn in advertising and um, ended up working in the corporate space for 10 years. And um, as time went on, like I, it just got worse. Like my, my hate for the work that I was delivering got stronger. People were, you know, running around like headless chooks over a, you know, digital MREC banner that literally no one on the internet clicks on, like literally no one. And if someone clicks on it, it's by accident. They actually have stats to say this. And yet we're, you know, we're sitting in an advertising agency at 11.30, putting the finer details on, you know, the, the graphics of this fucking MREC banner. Like I just couldn't understand when there are people dying in the world and there still isn't a cure for cancer. Why are we fretting about this stupid bloody banner? So obviously the passion just wasn't there. (laughs) So I thought, you know what, if I work really hard and I get a more senior role, I'll get more money and that will make the work more rewarding. And so I worked really hard. I climbed the ladder. I made more money. And it just didn't make a difference because the more money I made, the more responsibility I had and the more responsibility I had, the more I hated it, Um, you know, because then these bigger issues, air quotation marks, um, you know, were landing on your desk and you're like, really, this is what we're worrying about today? Fuck me. So, um, yeah, I, I stayed in a corporate role 
in Sydney because I wanted to pay for my wedding, right? Like both my husband and I, we were on six figure salaries. We wanted to pay for our wedding ourselves because it meant that we then had the most leverage and the most say over our own wedding. Because as I understand it in speaking to other girlfriends, as soon as your parents kind of come into the mix and they start paying for a lot of stuff, you're giving away a lot of control. And I wanted it to be our wedding. I didn't want it to be anyone else's. So we were like, nope, we, we're going to commit to paying to, for this thing. And then we also committed to a six-week Italian, um, you know, escape honeymoon thing, which cost squillions, like thousands of dollars. And it was really great, don't get me wrong, but the torture we had to go through to pay for it um, was really quite challenging at some points. So after we got married... I didn't have a carrot to dangle anymore, you know, turning up to work every day. It was always like, well, I'm, I'm turning up to pay for the wedding. And then once the wedding passed, it was like, I'm turning up literally to survive the day. And this is not the way that I want to live my life. So I started um, sewing um, and making my own clothes just because that's what brings me joy. And I find that when you sit down at a sewing machine, so as to not sew over your own fingers, you really have to concentrate. And it was, it was escapism, right? You know, I would sit down at a sewing machine and five hours would pass and you go, oh my God, this, this has been fantastic. I've just been um, with my own thoughts. So I started doing that and sort of just sharing on Instagram, hey guys, you know, I, I made this top. What do you think? And um, it, it started building traction and people really started, um, you know, they liked what I was making. And like we were talking about um, at the start of this call, you know, the beauty of Instagram is you don't really know how people discover you or how you discover other people, but it just happens. And then you go, oh, what, what was my life without that person in it um, beforehand? All these amazing women from around the world were like, hey, I saw that top that you made. I would really love one. And I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, so, you know, then they said, well, how much is it going to be? And I was like, um, I guess it'll be like this much. And they're like, cool. How do I get the money to you? I was like, oh, okay. I see where this is going. Let's make it a formal sort of transaction. Um, and so I had all these orders banked up. So I was working, you know, my corporate role Monday to Friday. And then every night after work, I would come home and I was sewing these linen skirts and these linen tops. And then all weekend I was sewing and then standing at the post office for hours on end, posting out all of this stuff. And it was, it was making me really happy. I, I loved the sewing element and the creativity of it. But what I really loved was building a brand and, you know, communicating with people and sort of providing a service um, that made me feel really empowered. Um, so I had the conversation with my husband and I just said, look, I actually, I think that there's something in here and this is what I want to call my brand, you know, Marlo by Marlo. It's all going to be made here in Australia. It's going to be made to order. It's all very slow, very sustainable. Um, I, I want to give it a go. So I handed in my resignation and, um, yeah, then it was full steam ahead on, on a fashion label. Which is awesome and takes courage. I did want to go back and ask, like, the advice you got from your parents, do you, you said it was horrible advice. Do you regret listening to that advice? It's a great question because 50% of me wants to say yes because I still think to this day that I would... Uh, I would make a fantastic actress. Like I think that I would smash Hollywood 
out of the ballpark. I love theatre. I love performing. Um, and that's always been in my blood. And, you know, I'm sure we'll circle around to it, but that's exactly what G-Pump gives me now, right? So at the time, I wish that I had studied exactly what I wanted to do because I know that I would have been successful in doing that. The second part of that is, in a way, I am glad, in hindsight, that I suffered for those, you know, 10 years and learned a lot because I now, I personally think that I have really strong communication skills. I know how to run a business. I know how to build a brand. I know how to build a website. I know how to manage difficult personalities. I know how to have, you know, um, negotiate with, you know, international stakeholders and, and very senior, um, you know, members of staff. Um, I have all of that experience, which has now put me in the best position possible to go out and one, establish a business and to also take that business to a corporate audience because I myself know what it's like to work in that corporate audience. I know what they're looking for. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't have that skill set had I not taken that wrong turn. And I would also say that when you really, really hate something, it really, really drives you to find what you love. And when I hit rock bottom, it really forced me to reflect on what I wanted to do with my life. What did make me happy? What was I really good at? Because I was good at project management, but I also hated it. And just because you're good at something doesn't always mean that you're going to enjoy it either. You know, you might be really organizational, but it doesn't mean you want to be an event planner. You know, you might really hate people. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you can't take time back. And I'm not one who sits around and regrets and thinks, what if? I just, I very much work with what I've got um, and, you know, plan to move forward. And I think that's kind of what I've, created with G pump, which is performance and my love of entertaining people and make, making people happy, encouraging them to move, but also being able to exercise all of the skills that I've developed over the last 10 years. You know, I, I know how to build a brand. I know how to build my own website, do all of my own PR and advertising, um, edit all of my own videos, you know, through, through my um, video and photography course at a university. So Swings and roundabouts, you know? Yeah, yeah. Swings sure. and roundabouts. Definitely. It's never a linear path, I suppose. And I, I think for those people that have had a really linear path in life, I think they're one part lucky and one part maybe they're missing out on all the other things that maybe could be in their life, but they never had the opportunity to experience because it has been such a clear journey for them, you know? So there's, there's no good or bad. It just is, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So your clothing label, you quit your corporate job, stuff that off, and you started <laughs> yep. to build your brand. So, like, how did you do that? Well, um, it's, again, another good question because I had never worked in a fashion label before. I hadn't had experience in fashion production. Um, I was effectively everything was self-taught and um, I, like I taught myself how to make a clothing pattern by just watching some YouTube clips 
and effectively just doing it over and over and over again until I worked out what I needed to do. Um, the one philosophy I have sort of taken throughout, you know, the, the past few years has been fail often and fail as fast as possible because as soon as I made a mistake, I learned something and then I, what, uh, you know, I didn't make that mistake again. And then you make another mistake and you go, Oh, don't do that next time. Do this one. You know, and it just meant that I've been able to get to whatever it is I'm working towards as quickly as possible, knowing pretty confidently that what I'm doing is, is, you know, on the right track. Um, so I decided that when I launched my label, I couldn't make everything by hand. It was taking the love of sewing away from me when it became a necessity. It was like, you're on the clock here. You've got 15 orders that need to be out in two days time. And then, you know, you end up rushing it and I'm a, a perfectionist. And I was thinking people are giving me their hard earned money on these garments. And if I received this, would I be happy? Would I be happy with that? And when I reflect on some of the, you know, pieces that I first made, holy shit, if I had received that, I would have been like, what the fuck is this girl thinking? Like, this is not going to be a very good fashion label, you know, like even just making sure that all the threads are tied off and cut and, and everything's pressed and beautifully presented in the parcel, you know, it's all part of the experience. And I think, the fear of not being able to deliver the ultimate experience every every single time freaked me out a bit. So I thought I'm going to bring on a manufacturer, and I, I um you know hadn't worked with one before. I didn't know where to go, so I just walked into a whole bunch of wholesale fabric stores in Sydney. I said, "Hey, I've got this label. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm looking for a manufacturer. Who do you recommend?" Um, And the thing with Australian manufacturing is because the government and uh, the industry effectively doesn't want to support its own manufacturers because it's so expensive, um, you know, for multiple reasons um, and everyone goes off seas and, you know, um, pays women 50 cents an hour, you know, to make a T-shirt means that, now there's a very small collection of manufacturers in Australia that have a monopoly and they can effectively charge whatever they want because it's them or it's China. Um, And and that's kind of what I discovered in my journey. Um, So they said, look, I can recommend this person and this person. And I I spoke to them, um, you know, I gave them samples. I asked them to, you know, create the basics um, effectively of my collection And it was just a matter of, yep, we kind of get along. Your prices are somewhat competitive. Yep, the product looks good. Let's try it out. And I have to say, I was pretty lucky in that um, my manufacturers took me on knowing obviously that I literally had no fucking idea. And they were like, cool. So um, where's your, your pattern and your order sheet for this? And I was like, oh, I didn't know that I needed one of those. And rather than them going like, there's the door, we don't have time to educate you, like go to fashion school and then come back. I think I was just so determined to just learn and make it work on the spot that they were like, yeah, okay. And like, I was paying, uh, you know, anytime I got an invoice, I could pay it. So I suppose for them, it was like, well, as long as she keeps paying, we'll just keep answering her questions. 
Um, so I, yeah, just kept at it. The, the thing that I really struggled with with fashion is that you need so much money to get something off the ground um, and you'd invest all of this time and energy in doing up your design. So you design a collection, then you'd get it patterned. And I was working with um, a young designer through one of the universities at Sydney because I wanted to support, you know, um, young women and men that were coming up through, you know, um, graduating courses. So I worked with a lot of them um, and Jade would help me do all of my patterns, which would cost a fucking fortune because patterns are so intricate and vital, right, to the outcome of your product. And then we'd sample it. That would cost. It's always double the price or three times the price. And then we'd sample it again because we needed to make some adjustments. And then like minimum quantity for me was 10, right? But when you're making 10 handcrafted, like beautifully finished white cotton shirts, that's a shitload of money. And that was only one garment in the entire collection. And the thing that the fashion industry has created is this horrible cycle of we always need new, we always need more. You know, there's what, six or eight seasons now in a calendar year? You know, there's resort, there's pre-resort, there's pre-fall, post-fall, winter, spring, I don't know, like garden season. It's actually ridiculous the way in which we have demanded that consumers always have new and that um, designers are constantly just producing shit um, at this point because I don't I don't know who buys all of this stuff so I operated on a made-to-order basis because that was the only way that financially I could make the business work I got the money from the customer which then allowed me to you know place the order get the, the garment paid for um, and then post it off. But, you know, um, I would say I'm a good project manager, but I'm not good with a calculator. And at the end of you know, some of these garments being made, I wasn't actually making any money. Like it, it was um, it was quite a roller coaster journey. So as much as I loved it and all the lessons that I learned from it, MBM is, is still running I'm still selling, you know, my ready to wear pieces to customers. And every now and then I get a sale through from, you know, and I get a Shopify notification. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I have a fashion label. Um, But it, it just wasn't financially viable. And I also didn't like the idea that it didn't matter how good a collection was, people were just always going to wait for the next one. Um, It was just never ending and quite exhausting. So um, Yeah. That, that was the journey of the fashion label. Yeah. So anyone listening who's thinking about entering into fashion, just take note. Take <laughs> note of all those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why was it important for you to keep the manufacturing in Australia? Um, a few reasons. I thought given where I'm at in my fashion journey, um, I am not in a position to be having conversations with people overseas where um, – English isn't their first language um, because I clearly don't have all the ideas of what the fuck I'm doing. So I really need someone who's prepared to have that conversation with me too. Uh, Australian manufacturing is completely dying. And if I'm not going to support it, who is? Um, 
I liked the idea, like, for example, my uncle is a wool producer in uh, Victoria and I really liked the idea of being able to trace the wool off the back of his sheep. I was going to do a whole winter campaign around it and I was going to, you know, go down to the wool sheds with a camera and get behind the scenes footage and watch this wool being shorn and then it was going to go to a, a um, you know, processor in Australia and then it was going to be, you know, spun, turned into wool and then it was going to be knitted and end up in one of my garments, right? It was going to be amazing end-to-end process. Turns out because the Australian government has decided to, again, not invest in its own economy, it's cheaper to shear these sheep in Victoria, bundle it all up, send it offshore to China, where again, these people are paid 50 cents or whatever it is to wash and pull all of this wool. It's then spun and then Australia needs to buy back that wool where it is then turned into a garment. Um, And I was just like, what the fuck? This is so backwards. Why aren't aren't we invest? Yeah, just the, the whole thing. I really tried, you know, I really wanted it to be, it is Australian made and, 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 um, you know, I was purchasing my fabrics from Australian suppliers, but to actually get things that were genuinely Australian produced, Australian grown, Australian spun was almost impossible. So I really started with this purest idea of the brand. But then once I started to dig, it became very clear that it was really hard And I completely understand why brands go offshore because it is cheaper and it's faster and it's quicker. Um, I also couldn't compete with minimum quantities, right? Like for a lot of producers overseas, minimum quantity is 100, 1,000, 10,000. The concept of designing up a pair of pants and even getting 100 pairs made under the assumption that there is a consumer out there that is going to buy those pants seems really odd. You know, you're very much investing all this time and energy and money in something that you actually don't know is going to sell until you put it out there. And if it sells out, then that's a huge win. But the amount of times that, um, you know, companies produce something, 75% of Um, let's say a big brand like Tiger Lily or um, someone that produces a lot of shit like Target, for example, only 75% of all of the clothing that they produce is actually sold. So if that 25% of garments, what's happening is, you know, they're um, going to salvos or, you know, they're, they're trying to be given to people who need it. And then, when it can't be moved beyond those groups, it's then packaged up and it's sent to these communities in um, uh, like third world communities. So then they have like an influx of like fucking jeans. And then what happens is because there's an influx of clothing that the Western society doesn't want to purchase, it means that all of these um, communities in third world countries where they might be, you know, making tops and local garments, they then don't have anyone to sell them to because Western society is just shipping over all the clothes that they don't want because it's cheaper to make 10,000 T-shirts than it is to make 100 T-shirts. Like, 
humanity what the fuck (laughs) listening to this I don't feel like the normal person would like even think about that like yeah I just go to the shops I buy my shirt and that's as far as that goes I wear it a few times and then oh it's kind of old now give it to the op shop like it's actually so it's just a crazy society that we're living in and especially Mm -hmm. in Australia it's like there's just so many like options everywhere and it's just like we just get everything hand fed to us Mm-hmm. you're so you're spot on um even you know when I it back in Sydney I used to walk through um you know like Bondi Junction Westfield I haven't been to a shopping mall in almost like a year it seems weird but you're walking through these malls and they're filled with stores like just jeans jeans west dotty portman's um q all of these stores that have racks and racks and racks of shit and no one is buying them the racks are always full and then you have you know black friday sales boxing day sales new year's day sales mother like there's just there's too much there's too much of everything even the idea of um like car yards or you know car manufacturers why would you make a car in a particular color in a particular model if you don't know that there's a consumer that's going to buy that car why can't we and again like this is a it's a world mindset that we need to change that just because we want something right now doesn't mean that we need it right now. Like Amazon Prime or Iconic, right? You order something on the Iconic in Sydney at 10 a.m. and you can have it at your door at 2. Like that idea that I need a new dress right now because I'm going out for Friday night drinks is not necessary. Like I have a few dresses that I love and I've had for years. And you know how many times I've been on Instagram? At least 50 because who the fuck cares if you love that dress and you look good in it? At least I know that I've looked good on Instagram 50 times. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, just yeah. um, so it's, it's a totally, um, it's a world problem and I don't know how we're going to fix it. But um, I suppose conversations like this, you know, it might, it, it might strike another conversation up with, with someone else in their friendship group and then, um, yes, slowly mentality to the way that we consume things and the fact that when you have something and you decide that its life cycle has ended doesn't mean that that product has disappeared. It still yeah. exists. You just don't see where it goes. But then also you like saying the word need, that word means mm. we, we need food, we need water, we need shelter. shelter. Everything else but, is just a bonus, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, we are this most selfish society and just like so careless. I've got a whole, like back there, I've got a lot of clothes back there, you know, but yeah. like I'm coming to the point where I'm the same, where like I've got dresses, well, because I've moved from WA to Melbourne. I'm like, oh, so I, can, I, I had this mentality where I was like, so I can rewear all these dresses because I'm going to be around new people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is so yeah. bad. But now I'm just like, look, I don't care. Like I can't afford to buy a $50 to $100 dress every time I go to a new thing. And then it just sits on my rack and just looks Yes. Good. So 
but between lockdown, like having to move our stuff from Sydney to Melbourne and being in lockdown and only wearing like the same pair of grey male tracksuit pants for literally like 40 days in a row and then packing up our stuff again and, um, you know, getting ready to hit the road, there are things that have been travelling with me for three years that I didn't even know that I still had. Like what kind of society are we living in where we have things that we don't even realise that we have like that is excessive living. And I know I'm a contributor of it. Like we're all guilty of it. And sometimes it overwhelms me to the point where it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. But even just having the conversation, um, you know, sparking a change in mindset is, you know, the best way that we can control it. But I honestly don't think that much is going to change. Like the way that the world works around the economy being the most important thing rather than, you know, um, quality of life and people's well-being. And are we looking after the earth? Oh no, but what about the economy? It's like, oh God. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. And Whatever. it's just like, it's just, this could be like a whole podcast. Just this I know. Yeah. I think I've really fallen down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I fully feel that. And maybe I should try and find somebody um, that could talk to me about this for a whole episode because it is mm. insane. And, and it, it, this sounds so bad, but even just like thinking about bringing another kid into the world, I'm like, mm. I'm so overpopulated. Seriously. <laughs> Watching David Attenborough's documentary was almost like the last nail in the coffin for us. There are two reasons that the, the for me that stand out to me that the world is burning. It is overpopulation and overconsumption and production of shit. So like even just the fact that we, you know, have cattle on land and all the feed that we grow to feed these animals, which we overconsume, all of that feed and that grain, we could be giving to people in countries that don't have access to food and we could be channeling all of these profits from these large corporations into communities that don't have access to clean drinking water like we don't need to keep having five or six children like we're at the point where the world is just going to explode so we you know we've talked about adoption um because you know there are plenty of children in the world that have been born into circumstance where they don't have parents and they don't have a good quality of life. And I love Gracie. Like she's come from my body and she's not even the same species. Like imagine if I adopted a six month old human baby, like that would be my baby. And I, I, you know, it's one less human on the planet. I don't know. It's so overwhelming, but also you have to be brave enough to face it and go, yes, it is overwhelming but if we keep turning a blind eye because it's it's easier to do that than to not think about it, well then we are we are going to send ourselves extinct. Yeah, I, I actually need to watch that David Attenborough um, documentary. Is it on? Highly that? recommend. Yeah, highly okay. recommend. I think yeah. that's tonight's watch. Yeah, do it. No regrets. So your clothing labels fully change your perspective on the um, fashion industry and it's kind of on the back burner now and now you have g-pump fit so how did that start yes so g-pump 
started three years prior. So in 2017, when I first moved up to Sydney, um, I mentioned that I was having a bit of a hard time saving for a wedding. So I needed good vibes. I needed to stay fit or I wanted to stay fit. Um, but I didn't have the money to spend on like a $37 boxing class in Sydney because Sydney prices are just outrageous. Um, and, you know, I was, I remember, I remember it so distinctively. I was dancing to the Pointer Sisters in this small little Bondi apartment above the shop. Um, and Sydney goes, we'll know where the shop is. And it's a great little cafe but it was just this little shitty hole in the wall apartment. And I was listening to this song and I just felt amazing. It was like, oh, just all the endorphins. And I was just going for it. And I was like, wow, imagine if I could give myself this feeling and other people this feeling. Um, and so I don't, I don't even really know how it kind of unfolded, but I was like, I think this is a thing. So this is going to be my outlet, listening to music that makes me feel amazing and moving my body and, um, you know, getting fit and releasing endorphins. And what, you know, what's my point of difference? Well, I really love the nineties. Um, you know, I, I love the fashion. I love aerobics. I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rock some high cut leotards. I'm going to order some cool shoes. And I didn't really know it was going to become, you know, a business. It was just something that for a very small amount of money, you know, in, in buying a few outfits, it was my outlet and it became like my little project um, while I was just trying to survive. And, you know, I was seeing a psychologist for depression and there were just some days that were really, really awful. But G-Pump was this thing that really put a smile on my face. So um, I was, you know, setting the alarm at like 4 a.m. on a Wednesday. You know, Hugh and I were both still going to our corporate jobs. But I would get up in the morning, put on bronzer, stick on some fake eyelashes. And, you know, we go to Coogee um, Cliff Face in New South Wales and we'd set up the tripod and as the sun was rising, I would be doing a G pump workout. Um, and, you know, so it was part for me, I wanted to feel good and I wanted to get fit and feel fun. And, and then I wanted to spread that, that good feeling to other people. And I just thought there's nothing like this on the market. I'm going to share it with people and, and, you know, see if it takes off. So I started building an Instagram community. I had a YouTube page where I was sort of putting all of these workouts. And the other day, yesterday, actually, I was looking back over the workouts that I was first publishing. I was like, oh my God, they are like cringe worthy. You know, my performance, I just, I didn't have any confidence in what I was doing. Um, because also at the same time, I was saving for a wedding. I did have depression. I was working in a job that I fucking hated. Like that is not the environment in which you should be putting yourself out on a public stage and going for it and hoping that people don't troll you, you know, like, um, but it's also very much something that I would do, you know, just completely have too many things on your plate at one time. Um, just before we got married, I thought G-Pump is this really fun thing that I think could become a business. And it was starting to build traction and sort of get a few eyeballs from people in the fitness industry. But I just thought, I'm not going to do it justice. We're about to get married. I'm still working this full-time job. It needs proper planning 
and I don't want to shit on it effectively. So I'm going to put it on pause and I'm not going to delete anything. I'm just going to see what happens. And again, this is the brilliant thing about the universe. If you are open to receiving what it has in store, then, you know, it kind of comes back around. So 2020, you know, MBM, the fashion label is, is looking really hard, especially because, you know, everyone's now in lockdown. My manufacturers weren't manufacturing. No one had sort of um, disposable money to be spending on $350 made to order shirts. You know, I get that. Um, gyms were closed. Incidental exercise had completely disappeared because people in Victoria couldn't leave their house for more than an hour, Right. And, you know, once you sit on the couch for consecutively four or five days, it becomes very hard to get off it. Um, you know, speaking from experience myself in lockdown. Um, so it's like, I think this is the time for G-Pump. Like I needed G-Pump originally when I was in a really dark place. And hello, I've now found myself in another really dark place. Um, and I think everyone right now could do with some G-Pump vibes. So um, I reopened it and um, I ordered, you know, this huge backdrop um, for the garage, the house that we were living in. And um, I kind of just went all guns blazing. I was like, we're reopening it. Here's the Instagram page. You know, what's my social strategy? Um, it's not going to be on YouTube. It's going to be a, you know, subscription model. I did my research into all these different platforms that I could use. Um, I got a proper studio set up. Like I, I went into it thinking to myself, this is the only option that I have. So I need to do everything in my power to make it work. Yeah. And because there was literally nothing else to do during lockdown for 116 days, I worked on G pump for 12 or 13 hours every single day for that six months. And again, even though it was a really shitty time in that six months, I achieved so much more than I probably would have if I was, you know, just doing it now. Right. Because yeah. now we can leave the house. Now there are people to see. Um, so it really forced me to, you know, do a lot of that fast failing. Um, it allowed me to test a whole bunch of stuff. Who's my target audience? What countries are interested? Um, and of course, because the pandemic, has touched everyone in the world, not just Australia. Yeah. It meant that, you know, I, I had a global platform. It's not just gyms in Australia that are closed. It's gyms around the world that are closing and good vibes are required everywhere. Yeah. Um, and what I love about G-Pump is that it is so inclusive. It is open to people of all languages, of all walks of life, old, young, you know, if you want to feel good about yourself, then this is this is where you come. You do a G pump workout, and it's going to change the way that you feel. So, did you see, like because the gyms are all closed, and you started this up, perfect timing? Did you see like like a high incline of people interested? Look, I did, but it was it it was mixed because yes, gyms were closed. And yes, there was this brilliant fitness offering that was ready to go, but because people were so down, because money was so limited, it, in any other circumstance, if there wasn't a pandemic and gyms just happened to not be a thing, 
then I think there would have been an incredible, um, you know, traction rate. But because, you know, people's mental health is really being affected. Yes, G-Pump could help you with that, but it was making that first step. And I think a lot of people were already so down by the time G-Pump actually launched because a whole, you know, um, production of lighting, delivery delays, um, you know, everything just took so long to get set up with G-Pump that there were so many times when I spoke to my psychologist, I was like, if this backdrop doesn't arrive by next week, I'm just not doing it. And she was like, okay, cool. So what are you going to do if, um, you know, so the backdrop doesn't turn up, what are you going to do if you're not doing G-Pump? And I was like, yeah, good point. Um, so I guess I'm just going to wait for the backdrop to turn up. So I felt like I, you know, sort of missed this wave of lockdown opportunity. And then little did I know that the second lockdown in Melbourne came and I was like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Um, but it's been interesting now that, um, you know, work's going back to normal a little bit for people in Australia anyway. Um that because mood's changing, weather's changing, work's changing, um, you know, even access to money and consistent, um, you know, flow of money means that there's there's been quite a lot of traction, which has been awesome. And also, you know, just um, people discovering G-Pump. It just takes a while. And I'm not very patient. You know, I'm like, I'm doing all the right things. People are saying that they're loving it. Why aren't there more people? you know, um, subscribing to GPUP. And it's like, because there are 7 billion people in the world. And right now it's only being seen by a fraction, fraction, you know, amount of, of those people. So yeah. I just need to keep um, working hard and, and eventually, you know, the good word will spread. Yeah. So you're going on this big traveling adventure and you're obviously taking GPUP with you. Yeah. Like, have you seen long-term plans and considered more one day opening your own like studio or anything? Or? Yeah, yeah. So um, I suppose this year is all about really building a name for G-Pump. So, you know, I've got the product offering down pat. I know who my target audience is in terms of, you know, technology and, and um, everything else that goes with it, that's sorted. This year, the focus is building the brand and delivering epic content. So, you know, doing a G-Pump workout on Hamilton Island, um, you know, Rottnest Island in WA, um, you know, in Bay of Fires in Tasmania. Like, I just want to be creating incredible content for the brand. And I think that's really going to take it to the next level because, I know that the fitness industry is super saturated, right? There's plenty of chicks on Instagram in black active wear that are doing squats and you can do squats with them for free. And that's really great. But if you actually want to change the way that you feel about exercise and make a long lasting impact to your lifestyle, then that's what G pump is there for. And I want it to be an experience where you can tune into a G pump workout and escape, you know, if it's, you've found 15 or 20 minutes in your day to do a G pump workout. I want you to be able to tune into this workout that's being filmed in Tasmania and actually feel like you're there. So it's almost like a travel experience as yeah. well. And, you know, again, for, for my um, European audience, I've got a, a huge U S audience. 
um, and quite a few ladies in London um, that are part of the pump squad, you know, they can't travel. Who knows when international flights are going to open again? It's a great way of exploring Australia. Um, and I would love, you know, a massive goal of mine for this year is to be working with the um, Tourism Australia board, you know, to be discussing how we can get G-Pump on a global platform to promote Australia as this incredible place to come and, and work out and do a G-Pump. Um, so that's the aim for this year. And then, you know, based on my goals for memberships and growing the pump squad, um, I think, you know, end of 2022 is when I would love to open up a G-Pump studio and it's going to be this sacred G-Pump space. Um, I know exactly what it's going to look like. Um, I know exactly how you're going to feel when you walk in the room. Um, and I just love the idea that I can take those classes in person and see in real time the way that G-Pump is changing the way that people feel. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a very emotional experience. Um, but you know, setting up a studio and, and doing all of that requires a lot of money. So I'm going to need to just work my butt off literally um, this year and next year to, to make that studio dream a reality. But we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. You and know, you've got to put it out to the universe. Positive, yeah. Yeah. Like you having these, like, thoughts and dreams is what's going to power you to get there. You know, people, like... People are starting from the bottom and, they, and they're not like passionate about where they're going to get to. And I feel like that's where a lot of people go wrong. And you just seem really passionate about it, which I'm so excited for you. Like so many Thanks, exciting Bella. opportunities ahead. I also was going to say, I hope you're stopping into Esperance in WA. Yes, that is a beach, um, beach town that has popped up quite a few times. Like sort of when I've put it out to people and say, hey, you know where you go to places? It's popped up a lot of times. So if I can get a G-Pump photo with some joeys in the background, then that would be the ultimate like branding photo for G-Pump, like kangaroos on a beach in a leotard. Esperance is stunning, but it's just a small town. Like it's very sleepy, 15,000 people and not like somewhere you want to be when you're 22. Like you kind of want to spread your wings and experience new things. I also wanted to ask you about your husband. He seems like he's like in the um, background and helping with everything. Do you think you could be where you are today without him supporting you and being your like side guy? Sidekick. Mm, side what a lovely sidekick. question. Yeah, he has been absolutely instrumental in everything that I've done, I would say. Um, he backs me 100 percent if you know if I say to him this is something that I want to do and I know I'm going to make it work then that's all he needs to know and he literally does what he what we need to do to make it happen so you know from the time that I quit my job to to start MBM um, he's been financially supporting the both of us right like in two years, MBM didn't bring in profit. It's not like it brought in money to pay myself. So he's been supporting both of us through that. And then, of course, you know, when COVID hit, he lost his job. 
um, and now he's managed because he's incredible managed to land you know his dream job which is working with small um, business owners and entrepreneurs and connecting them and now he can do that from anywhere in Australia like it's it's the most brilliant opportunity for him um, but you know that was a stressful time when I was like well I, I can't go back to being a project manager like I, I said that to him and I know that sounds very um, you know shitty of me to say but I was like I, I can't go back to a corporate job. You know, I, I know that we're desperate, but I would rather um, sit on job seeker right now and invest all of my time and energy into G pump into doing something that I know will make me happy. And also hopefully very successful, you know, in the next 12 months, um, then going back to a corporate job. And he said, okay, like again, if you're prepared to work at it and you know, you've got a plan in place and you know what you're doing, then I'm happy to back you. And he has been the person that has been, you know, helping me with the business loan with my fashion label. He's been the person that's been helping me set up my tripods, you know, um, for, for G pump workouts and helping me scout places. Um, in 2017, when G pump first launched, he would come down to the beach with me on a weekend and I would just have a total mental breakdown. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm such an idiot. What am I wearing? Like people are going to judge me and think that I'm an idiot. And he was like, Miles, we've driven 45 minutes to this beach. You've gone to the effort of planning the workout. Look at what you're wearing. Look where you are. Just do it. Like we've come this far. You just have to film it. And then we would film it and it would be great. And, you know, during the workout, he'd be giving me the thumbs up like, yeah, woo, go Miles. I know. And he was, you know, um, the reason that a lot of days I would just kind of keep going because he's like, nope, you've got this. You're just having a shit day. You'll be okay. Um, and yeah, he's, he's my backbone. He's the best person yeah. ever. And that's yeah. like, makes my heart feel so nice your partner isn't always going to be actually be able to contribute to what you're doing. You know, like Hugh can't pull on a leotard and G pump with me. I'm sure, you know, if I talked him into it, he would, but just the being there and listening to you and saying, Hey, I'm having this business problem. Can you help me brainstorm it? If they're not going to be there for you and be interested in what you're doing, then there is that that's, I don't think that that's a relationship. Um, you know, and, and when I met, when Hugh and I met, we had no idea that this is where we were going to be. Like he was addicted to work, sales guy, worked in finance, you know, um, was very driven by money. I was working as a project manager, you know, really senior responsibilities, big paycheck. And now we've both, I think because we did it so young and we worked so hard so quickly, we've both been able to kind of realize that there's so much more to life and yeah. we've both been so supportive of each other sort of uncovering what it is that we love to do because you can see in that person when they find that thing that they love to do they really light up and when you love someone you just want to see them light up yeah you've made me um think should I send that Facebook request or should I yes not? do it Seriously, honestly, uh, you know, the thing that I think has made G-Pump easier um, this time around, especially when I'm filming on beaches now, you know, in, in public and there's like these old guys walking past. I'm like, 
you just have to care less about other people and what other people think in terms of um, not generally, <laughs> but more about what you think other people are thinking of you because so many times I've assumed the worst, um, you know, and thought that someone was saying nasty things about me, but actually they were saying really lovely things about me. They just were too afraid to say it to me. Um, or, okay, they are thinking things about you that aren't ideal and, and you don't want them to be thinking, um, you know, horrible thoughts. But also, who is that person? You literally don't even know their name. Who the fuck cares what that person thinks about you? Because are they going to be making you happy at the end of the day? Are they going to be paying you your check? Are they going to be, do, are you going to know that person when you're 50? When you've missed all of these opportunities because you've been afraid of what that person on the street thought of you? No, the only person missing out when you decide that what other people think is more important than you pursuing what makes you happy is your own happiness. And, you know, when I was sitting there that day thinking, should I send you a Facebook request? Oh, what if he thinks I'm crazy? Maybe I shouldn't actually. I don't want to come across as a crazy person. But also, I've never met this guy. So if he does think I'm crazy and he just doesn't accept my friend request, well, that's okay because I literally actually don't even know this person. But I've done enough Facebook stalking to kind of work out that he looks single. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I sent him a friend request and then I got a message from him and it said, hey, do we know each other or should we know each other? And I said, I think that we should know each other. And he was like, cool, let's get a drink on Monday night. And that was our first date and now we're married. So you right. just never bloody know. It, I feel like my, like for me, it's going to be sliding into the Instagram DMs. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like the Facebook equivalent now, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, I was going to wrap up. I've got two conclusion questions. Mm. First one is, what are your tips for the people listening who feel trapped in their career and need change but are too scared to go for it? I would say to them, is it scary trying something new and it may be not working out? Or is it more scary living your life thinking, what if I had tried that? That's what haunts me at you know, the end of the day when I'm thinking, should I, should I take this opportunity? Shouldn't I? Is it going to be more scary? You missing out on that opportunity and you not taking the leap. And I think, you know, um, a lot of people used to reach out a lot of, you know, young fashion students used to reach out to me about MBM and sort of say, Hey, how did you start your label? Did you just quit your job one day? So, no, I don't recommend doing that. Um, uh, if you have a shitload of cash to fall back on, then sure, do that. Um, but I would just say you have to dabble and you have to sign up to as many free things as possible. You have to join as many Facebook groups as possible. Reach out for coffees with people. Honestly, if there's someone that you want to pick the brain of, send them an Instagram message and say, hey, I really admire what you're doing. Um, I would really love to um, take you out for a coffee for 30 minutes and ask you a few questions, but always be respectful of people's time because, um, you know, otherwise I'm sure there are a whole bunch of people out there that are like, yeah, okay, cool. So I've got eight hours worth of coffee meetings on Friday. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I would just say what's more scary, like you being uncomfortable or you missing out on an opportunity that might change your life. Yeah. Be be that whatever it is. I I live with the motto, I'd prefer to try and regret than be asking what if. But, mm. but then also I'm, I'm like going with this motto that I'll never, I should never regret anything. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Even if you try something and you think, oh, actually, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Rather than regret, just go, I've got the learning now, you know. Yeah, exactly. As it turns out, I'm not very good at pottery. I bought a piano. I tried playing it three times. I was like, actually... I, I don't think, you know, music is for me. I don't know how to read music, so I don't know why I bought a piano. But at least I bought it and I, you know, my intent was there. And it, as it turns out, it's not for me. So now I'll just move on to the next thing. <laughs> Seriously, I feel like you, just you and this podcast answers that question anyway. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Um, and the last question, I added that question in just for you, but the last question I ask all my guests is, what is one thing you would tell your 21-year-old self that you wish you knew back then? Oh, hoi, hoi, hoi. Um, to, I, I think one sentence answer would be, don't change yourself for anyone or anything because the way that you are is awesome. You just haven't found your thing yet. And when I say your thing, you haven't found your people yet. You haven't found what you're passionate about. You haven't spent enough time away from your parents and you haven't quite found your voice yet, but you will. So just stay as true to yourself as possible. And I wish I had done that because when I, I think back to 21-year-old Miles, I was very confused as to you know, dating for the first time, trying to sort of navigate a career, you know, dealing with men in in the workplace, just so many things that, you know, there were things that I didn't say that I wish now I had, or I'd I'd stood up for myself in situations where I thought, oh, no, I don't want to be that person. Just stay, yeah, I would say stay true to yourself, Miles, because one day, you will find your tribe and they will love you just as you are and there is no need to change. Yeah, and I feel like that's such an important message because in this day and age, social media just makes life so much more confusing as a young person. And like, mm. like, oh, but they're doing this and they've got all this money and they do this and like maybe I should change to be like that. Or So much of that shit is fake. Like that, and I really got that exposure in Sydney. You know, these these people that you know look like they have it all. They re- no no one has it all. What is all? You know, all is going to be different for so many people. So yeah. don't compare someone who's been doing something for ten years to yourself who's been doing it for six months. It's completely crazy. Yeah. It is so crazy, but. Yeah, it is a torture device as well. Yeah. Social media is amazing and and torturous at the same time. Yeah, it's just, definitely. yeah, putting those limits on yourself, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed that and I feel like it's 
like open a lot of cans of worms for lots of people. Worms everywhere. <laughs> all over the place. Um, but I'm really excited to see your adventuring in your new Defender with your two little doggies. And I can't wait to see you in Esperance as well. Um, yeah, I'll do a shout out for you later as well. Please. Awesome. But I hope you have a lovely weekend. Um, Thank and you. I will chat with you soon. Thanks. I'm so excited to see this all come together and see where your podcast adventures take you too. Thank you so much. Of course. I'll speak to you later. No worries. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you got as much out of it as I did. I've left Marlo's handle in my bio if you want to follow her on instagram i definitely recommend because she lights up my screen every single day i also left her clothing label website and her g-pump fit website so definitely check those out too lastly don't forget to follow all things life podcast on instagram it's literally just all things life podcast for what do i even put on there i put quotes i put tunes on tuesdays i put tiktoks for a laugh i sometimes post some recipes and i just have some yarns on there too so keen to see you there and i hope you have a lovely week and i'll speak with you soon see ya